On today's Q&A episode, we have a Trails and Hills edition. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. We have another Q&A episode and... I talked about this on the uh, last Q&A, but certain questions got proposed or asked and some of them clumped into this specific around trails and hills. And so I thought I might create an episode or an addition just to do with trails and preparing for trails. And yeah, so here we go. I hope you enjoyed uh, last week's episode around Brian Hanley talking about marathon, half marathon tactics and strategies. I thought it was a really, really fun engaging interview with a lot of practical tips. I always love it when there's something so simple and so practical to take away. Um, So hope you enjoyed that. Today's episode um, has four questions that I've kind of combined into about three answers. Um, Before I get into them, I love trails. I love running trails. Uh, Probably should do it more often, but um, say where I live at the moment, there's a lovely creek. the Darabin Creek Trail, which I almost every run that I go on, I end up down there. Um, there's certain sections where it's path, certain sections where it's dirt. Um, and if it hasn't been raining in the last couple of days, and it's nice and firm. I like to take my dog there and we just go running together. Yeah, just it's so much different. You get a different feel. It's um, the sound of the water, the sound of like birds chirping, the the wildlife. It's, it's just a different sense. And I always know that the races that I enter, the trail runs always just have me smiling more than other other races. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. <clears throat> so let's start off with Melody. She asks her question, is training um, for trails different compared to non-trail running? And so she clarified that, you know, she's doing a lot of hills and there's a lot of unstable surfaces. So should her training be different compared to just regular training if you're just training for road races that sort of thing and so always consider that when you're training uh, we always want to get some like just say if you're preparing for a race you always want to hone in on specificity you always want to hone in especially when it gets to the peak kind of stages say for three or four weeks out from your race you want to start really adapting specifically to what your what the race conditions are um, presenting as. And so when it comes to trails, uh, specifically, it's, it's weird because every trail is completely different. Every trail run, every trail race is completely different. Um, So, 
especially when it comes to like, if your regular running isn't always on the trails, if trail running isn't your default and just say around your house, if it's mainly asphalt, pavement, road, that sort of stuff, um, and you have a trail run coming up, you do want to make sure that you take um, specific care around getting to a trail and starting to adapt to the trail circumstances. So firstly, if you do have a trail race coming up, you need to take some time really laying out the course layout, what exactly what is required. Um, I have had a client in the past who signed up for a trail run and did a whole bunch of training on the trails, but then actually had a look at what the course entails. And it was a lot more hills, a lot more elevation than what he was um, expecting. And so had to really play catch up in the last weeks preparing for that because he just signed up um, and at the time of signing up and for the first couple of months of training, didn't really hone in on the specifics. And so you want to hone in on the hills, how many hills, um, how far the hills are, what the incline is like, because you could have a, a, a hill that climbs up for five kilometers and it's just maybe a 3%, 5% slope. But you also might have a hill that's 500 meters and it's a 10% or 12% incline. Totally different things. So hills aren't just hills. Every hill is different. Um, so you want to have a look at the incline, but you also want to have a look at the decline. Not many people pay attention to this because the decline could be very gradual, but you could also have a, a decline of 15% and you really need to start adapting or training your body to deal with those loads. Um, I might talk about it a couple of times in this episode, but when you go uphill, it's all the propulsion phase. It's all using your muscles, tendons to propel you forward. They get heightened when you have to go uphill, particularly if you're trying to maintain the same speed as what you did on the flats. But on the downhill, it's just gravity just accumulating a lot of that ground reaction force, trying to, um, it almost amplifies that contact uh, contact time and the ground contact forces that are generated. So you do want to have a look at the hills, you want to have a look at the incline, and you want to have a look at the decline. You want to analyze the training, the terrain that's underfoot. It might be a firm like dirt trail, or it could be very uneven. There could be a lot of branches, roots, um, just like the dirt itself can be quite unsteady. So something you need to analyze as well. Um, how often are you changing direction? I know the trail runs that I've done in the past, the ones around Melbourne, the Rapid Ascent Trail Series, some of those runs you're running downhill and then you have to turn like almost 180 degrees. It's just like a sharp, you're going quick and you have to like grab onto a tree and run around a tree. That's like really different to just running on road. And so um, also, also keep in mind that if you are going up and down hills, will you be in a fatigued state? Like, are you really challenging? Is it going to be like a 5k trail run or is it a half marathon or an ultra where Towards the end, if you're trying to lug up this hill or trying to run down this hill in a really fatigued state, that's a really big precursor for injuries. And if you run down a hill really sloppy, those tendons, those muscles, they're trying to absorb that load in a really inefficient state. So you want to make sure that when you're training, going back to Melody's question, should I train differently? You want to make sure that your body's used to being a bit fatigued or you want to make sure that you're running as efficient as you can in that fatigue state when going up and down those hills. 
So again, just honing in on, honing in on the specificity side of things. So um, when you're training for a race, same as any other race, we still want to follow the same adaptation principles, which are in the first 10 episodes of this podcast. Um, if you haven't, I haven't really reminded people a lot in the most recent episodes, but if you haven't listened to the first 10 episodes of the podcast, you're not doing yourself justice. You're not taking full advantage of this podcast. Um, go back to those first 10 lessons because I constantly repeat them in every episode. Um, and yeah, those adaptation principles are really um laid out for you in those 10 episodes. So we still follow those principles, um, but we just need to tailor it for the trail course rather than just a road race or just running in general. Um, So a couple of things. Um, So the training specifically, if you're just starting out, um, one hill session per week is what's recommended, but a hill session can be very broad. Like you could do hill repeats, you could do... Uh, you could find a, a hill that's like 100 meters and just do repeats of that. But how fast do you do it? How far do you go? How many repeats do you do? Really depends on your baseline adaptation zone. Really de- really depends on what experience you've had in the past in strength training or just speed work. Um, so that's where it kind of really tailors for the individual or that's as far or as detailed as my advice can go. Otherwise, we're just honing in on specific individuals which I'd need more information on Um, but different distances different inclines different repeats um, different speeds that you do them all these variables you just write them down make sure you you try and best uh, in the best way you can find your adaptation zone and slowly build on from that because then the body starts to adapt to hills and our training becomes more specific Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Um, this frequency may need to increase. So I do say if you're just starting out once a week, heel sessions, but once you adapt to that and you're starting to really, if you're doing like a, a trail run with a lot of hills, you may need to increase that to maybe two times a week, three times a week, um, especially when it starts getting closer to race day and you need to really be more specific in your training. Um, practice foot placement. This is pretty key when it comes to trails, um, especially ones that have like roots, that have branches, that have uneven footing, Um, sometimes inconsistent footing. Sometimes there might be dirt that's, um, say, wet or slippery or um, more firm underground and like that constantly changes throughout the course. There may be puddles everywhere. Just trying to analyze that foot placement and get a good foot placement and almost predict kind of where your foot needs to land three or four steps ahead. So you're kind of practicing this. It's like a skill. So make sure um, you're looking at the ground, make sure you're trying to predict that. But then you also want to make sure that there's no like low hanging branches because you could just focus too much on the ground and then you hit your head on some some low hanging branches. So back to Melody's question, is training for trails different? Yes, because we can start honing in on all these specific type of things. When it comes to, I guess, strength training, um, I'll talk about that later in this episode, but 
if we're talking about um, training for trails, you do want to be more multi-directional. Um, you do want to train more multi-directional, which runners should do anyway, because running is <clears throat> a very one direction focus. They're only running forwards. Um, you should just change things up in your training. But when it comes to trails, it is more of that multi-directional purpose. You are um, changing direction more often. So therefore, in your strength training, it can be more tailored towards that, uh, more tailored to balance as well and ankle stability. So you're looking at, say, side-to-side -side hopping. So on one leg, to the left, to the right, to left, to the right, maybe paint a, a, um, a box or a line on your floor or maybe just find a, a crack or a divide in, say, the tiles or the, the boards, the floorboards or something, and you're just hopping on one side to the other. You can do lateral lunges. You can do lateral jumps. So like when, um, say, you're on your right leg and you squat down and then you take off to the left and then you land on the left in a, in a nice squat position and you see how, um, I think some people call them skiers, um, some people call them jumping skaters or something like that. Uh, but just changing direction, um, building on that propulsion left to right rather than just forward and back. Uh, hopping, a box hopping, so you're like, or box skipping. So you've got a box and you hop on one side up onto that box and then down onto that box. So let's just say you've got um, a step that's maybe four inches in front of you and you're just standing on your right foot and then you launch up onto the box and you try and land softly onto that box on your right foot. And then you take off, that, take off from that box again, land on the floor on that right leg, try and have that soft landing. Those sort of um, balance ankle stability type of exercises are quite nice. So hopefully that answers your question, Melody. Uh, let's move on. We have Karen who asked a question in the last Q&A episode as well, but she had a really nice one. She said, what is the best way to run downhill without pounding? So pounding on the ground. And like I said, when we run downhill, we're just um, accentuating, amplifying the ground reaction forces just because gravity just takes effect and um, in the same way that we want to build up your tolerance for anything, in the same way we want to build up your tolerance for running uphill, we, we still need to build up our tolerance to tolerate forces downhill because it just the forces that are pulled on the body and the requirements of the tendons and the um, control of your ligaments and the control of your muscles to um, produce force in different ways. It's just so different when you're running downhill compared to uphill. And so don't ignore the fact that you don't, don't just focus on the uphill because you think you need to get more powerful running uphill and you get really tired when you run uphill. So therefore you need to get a lot fitter to run uphill. You want to also draw your attention to the downhill because there are a lot of um, specific injuries that are related to ground reaction forces. So Injuries like patellofemoral pain or like kneecap pain, things like shin splints, things like definitely ITB, friction syndrome, um, and also lateral hip pain, so pain right on the outside of your hip. A lot of these are um, contributors based on like high ground reaction forces. And so maybe you're having a little bit more hip drop, maybe you're having a little bit more pronation, maybe you're having a little bit more knee bend. Um, ITB strain in that sort of position and then it's just amplified as soon as you start thumping down the hill um, 
and it just the the sound of the foot just like has a huge loud thud it just generates a whole bunch of force that can easily spike your adaptation zone it can actually easily exceed your adaptation zone so you want to be very very careful um, but if we know anything from the first 10 episodes no matter how you're pounding down the hill no matter how much ground reaction force or how high those forces are if it's within your adaptation zone then the body will adapt to that adaptation and you will get better and more efficient at running downhill and so you could theoretically have a really loud sloppy kind of run theoretically um, but if you do it for say 20 seconds down a hill and then next week you do it for 40 seconds down a hill and then next 60 seconds down the hill and your body slowly starts to adapt to those loads you will get better or you will adapt to that that run and generating those forces but you're leaving yourself a very uh, if you don't maybe change your running maybe be very conscious of the fact that you're um, generating those high forces and you're training specifically um you're leaving yourself that very narrow beam. You know how I always talk about the the tightrope walker that has, um, if they've got a very um, thin wire that they have to walk on um, and you're training loads of that breeze and if you fall off, that indicates an injury. If you just have a really sloppy run, you can adapt to that sloppy run, but it's a very narrow beam. You'd prefer to widen that tightrope walking um, position or that that rope and make it more of a beam so you have a wider base of training so that you're more resistant and if that wind comes along which indicates you're running um, exercise or the external forces um, you can cop a little bit more brunt you can have a little bit more resilience that's what we want to do and so um, how we do that is we want to make sure that our training, our strength training, our style of running is <clears throat> a little bit more sensible and a little bit more unshakable. So first of all, I've got a couple of tips here. One, you need to slow down. If you're not used to pounding the pavement or running downhill, if you're not used to copying a lot of that brunt, you need to slow down your speed. Um, <clears throat> if you have been doing trails for years and you run downhill and your body's accumulated that, you have a huge almost downhill base, you could call it, then you can do that. But if you don't, then you have to slow down. That could be walking. That could be just shuffling your legs. Um, And yeah, it'll all depend on the speed that you're going at. It'll all depend on the the decline. Maybe it's like 2%, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 15%. But like easy to kind of illustrate, like the more the percent, so let's say it's 10 to 15%, you do need to slow down significantly. If it's 2% or 3%, maybe just slow down a little bit. Um, you can turn into like a really high cadence, almost like a shuffle when you run. I know um, when I go down to my Darabin Creek, to get down to the creek, there's quite a steep hill. And I just pull on the brakes, almost like really pull my weight back and just do like a, a little bit of a shuffle, especially if I'm still trying to run a little bit faster, like if I'm trying to time a, a, a K. If I'm doing a slow run, I'll just almost jog on the spot and just slowly work my way down. But if I wanted to get a faster split, I'm still slowing down, but I'm shuffling um, and kind of, yeah, just shuffling my feet, increasing my cadence. 
Um, so that's something that you might want to do. The other tip is to just try and listen to how you're contacting the ground because the sound can make um, a real big indication and you might just want to just be as quiet as possible. Do whatever it takes for you to be quiet because that loud sound just means higher ground reaction forces. And so maybe that's like pulling the brakes on, go real heel, toe, heel, toe, heel, toe, really just slowly taking things down. Maybe it's running on your toes a little bit and pitter-pattering your toes, whatever reduces that ground reaction force and reduces that sound uh, will be a lot better. If you have quite a wide path, this is my other tip that I have, um, if it's not like a single person trail and it's more of a, a pavement or it's more of a, a dirt road that's really far downhill, you can descend by going side to side. So from the left side of the road to the right side of the road to the left side of the road and that um, decline becomes, the gradient becomes less so. Um, so that's something you might want to try. Um, so they're the tips and I do have one more and that is to work on your eccentric control and your eccentric control um, through your quads and through your glutes is really important to help make sure that you don't produce that sloppy form because we're lengthening our muscles, but we want to slowly lengthen our muscles that still control the position of all your joints. And so eccentric control, if you have really good eccentric control, you're slowly controlling your descent down that hill without knees like collapsing in or without hips dropping or like you're still maintaining a really nice rigid form without the body just being like, oh, I'm not used to this, like this high kind of force, this high these high gravity forces, and then you just fall out of place into a position that your body's not used to, then you get those overloaded injuries. So um, I've just got an example for like eccentric control. You can do like a double leg or a single leg squat with like really heavy weights. Um, so let's just say you have... Uh, let's use a single leg squat. So you stand and you've got like a box behind you. Uh, you hold on to a lot of weight. You slowly, as slow and controlled as you can, try and sit back onto that box. Hopefully it's a little bit low. Um, so slowly sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. And then you just drop the weight when you get down to the bottom and then you just stand up. So um, the forces, the, the weight itself can be high enough because when you start to pile a whole bunch of weight on, it'll get to a point where you can't like stand back up because that concentric phase, you just don't have the strength to produce that concentric phase with the weight that you're holding. But you can hold on to a ton of weight and slowly, as slow as you can, drop yourself down into that squat. And then when you sit on that box, you just drop the weight and then you just stand up with just your normal body weight. And then just do repeats of that. And that is eccentrically um, working those muscles, the glutes and the quads. And that can come in really handy to adapt to uh, the forces, those real high forces that accumulated when you're running downhill. So keep that in mind. Um, so thanks for asking that question, Karen. We have uh, two questions that have come in that I've kind of answered in one. Um, so Sam asks, what exercises will help me increase my uphill running? especially when they are longer hills. So the inclines go over one kilometer. And John asks, I could use a good progression to get ready for this upcoming big hilly trail run. I'm not sure about the specifics of that, but I'll kind of answer these two questions together. So 
Firstly, um, keep in mind that your basic squats, your basic squats, lunges, calf raises, deadlifts, they do the trick. You still keep them in. I do have a few other exercises here, um, but you will become better at running. You will become better at running hills as well um, if you keep those foundation exercises still in. So we're not replacing those key foundation exercises with what I'm suggesting now. We can add these in if you wanted to be more specific, if you want to be more tailored. So if you're not used to these exercises, we want to start with like single joint movements. So, uh, and especially when it comes to running uphill, it's producing power. Like I said, uphill is the propulsion phases. It's your calf, it's your glutes, um, a little bit of your quads, but it's just trying to push you up that hill with all the, the force and power generators. And so um, the first one would be your soleus and your calf complex. So strengthening the single leg, uh, the single joint movements. So a seated calf raise machine. Uh, I know I recommend this a lot, um, but a seated calf raise machine will work that soleus a lot more. And rather than just like a straight leg calf raise and will help produce force as you run up that hill. Um, so you can do those. If you don't have a uh, seated calf raise machine, your next best option that I've found is just doing single leg calf raises, but with the um, bent knee on Instagram, I have a couple of videos and a couple of um, examples of me doing it. So you can have a look because it is a little bit of a, a skill. It is It does require a little bit of practice because a lot of people try and keep their bent knee. They're either bent, the knee's bent way too much, um, or when they go up into that calf raise, their leg straightens out, which defeats the purpose. So <clears throat> that's number one. Um, number two is a single leg hip extension. So like a hip thrust, if you are um, trying to do, it's similar to like a bridge, but the back of your shoulders are on a bench, your foot's on the floor and your bum's on the ground. And then you just bring your hips up as close to the ceiling as you can. Um, that's going to work a lot of the glutes, particularly in um, high, like starting in deeper hip flexion ranges. So better for that running uphill. And you can also add weights to that as well by just putting weights on your lap. So give that a go. And also your hip flexors, like the hip flexors are probably going to work harder going uphill, but just during the swing phase. Um, so not that force production, but the hip flexors need to work quite hard to get your, um, or harder than running on flats, I should say, to get your foot to a higher starting position because you're running uphill. And so an exercise for that. Um, I also have a video on Instagram or social media just putting a nice simple TheraBand around your knees in standing and then, or you could put the band around your toes. So around both feet, and then you're just doing like a, a march. So you're bringing your, in standing, you're bringing your knee up towards your chest and then just bringing it slowly back down. And you just repeat that. And as you do reps of that, that one leg, that swinging leg never touches the ground. So it stays in the air the entire time. And you're just hiking your hip up, uh, your knee up towards your chest and just doing repeats of that hip flexor starts getting a bit of burning. Um, it's starting to feel that working. To progress that, you can work speed um, rather than strength, uh, rather than increasing the weight or increasing the band. I'd always prefer speed because we're training that leg through the open chain. Um, all, all that's required when you do run is body weight, but it just needs to go through the air just as quick as it can. So 
being more specific to that. Once you've done those single joint kind of movements, we can progress to multi-joint movements or more functional movements. So obviously um, we want to mimic kind of that action, but stairs, stair running can be quite nice um, if you don't have access to hills. So either going into like a um, fire escape or some people have apartment buildings with those sort of spiral stairs, you can just do repeats of that. That can be quite nice. Um, will really produce a lot of the, the calf requirements, the hip flexor requirements. Give that a try. Um, sled pushes, if you do, if you are used to that high intensity interval training, the HIT classes um, or a gym that does have sleds for you to push, you're going to get really good at running heels if you get really good at pushing sleds. <laughs> so you can give that a go. Um, obviously, with all these exercises, want to make sure that you're within your adaptation zone. So start gradually and build up from there. Uh, rocket jumps are another one of my favorites. So you are standing on the ground with a box in front of you. You place one foot on that box and that's where you start. And so the action is pushing um, through the foot that's on the box and you just launch yourself into the air, straight up into the air. Um, if you are powerful enough and can generate enough force, you actually clear the ground and so you hop in the air. So you're floating in the air momentarily land that same foot back on the box and your other foot goes back to the floor and you just repeat that. And so you're just launching yourself in the air, do repeats, do say 10 to 12, repeat on the opposite side. You can hold weights. I know I've started doing rocket jumps at my house, just holding onto a 10 kilo dumbbell on my chest, just doing repeats of that. Um, so yeah, they, they will get you very good at uh, starting to run those hills. It can be if you've got like, say for Sam's question, if it's a, um, if it's a longer hill, so over a kilometer, you can have maybe less weight and try and have more reps. So you're doing rocket jumps for, you know, two minutes, um, just body weight rather than holding onto some weights and doing less. Um, but we also don't forget the specificity side of things at the start of this episode. If you do have a hill or hills that go for over a kilometer, start training with hills that are over a kilometer um, and your body will adapt and get better at these exercises. But a couple of those tips will definitely help. So uh, let's do a bit of a recap. So um, when it comes to the training itself, want to make sure that if you do have a race, you're honed in on the specifics, the hills, the incline, the decline, the terrain that's underfoot, um, how often you'll be changing directions. Um, within the training itself, start getting in some um hill sessions, have a look at training, the, the skill of foot placement, make sure you're strength training um, in multiple directions. When it comes to the downhill, like pounding of the pavement, just try and run quieter, try and see what technique you can come up with that has, that produces that really soft kind of shuffle. Um, really slow down, especially if you're not used to pounding the pavement on the way down, just really slow down your speed, but just get um, in your training, you can also get used to eccentric control, really build up the capacity of the, that eccentric capacity within the, uh, within your gym sessions. And then when it comes to specific exercises, hip flexors, the soleus muscle, um, and single leg hip extension are good ones to start with. So if you just did all of these, you're going to start getting really, really good at trails. And I hope that, um, a lot of you are trail runners. Hope you enjoy trail runs 
And hopefully these are a couple of tips that you might not have expected and something you can start implementing. If you do start implementing and you feel um, like it's really helped, let me know, reach out. Um, a lot of people reach out on Instagram and Facebook and um, tell me about how the podcast themselves, what they've implemented and how it's benefited their running gives me a ton of passion to continue building these episodes out. Um, so yeah, if you have, if you want to reach out, if you have a um, success story or if you have just uh, some insights, I'd love if you could reach out and let me know. All done for today, guys. Uh, like I say, at the end of every episode, I'm trying to say at the end of every episode now, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And you've built in a couple of insights in this episode. So hopefully it leads to that next breakthrough and we'll catch you next time. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.